of Scripture and try to string them together to try to prove that a person can be saved one day and then lost the next. That they can be saved today and lost tomorrow. What a sad thing that is. Why not just let the Bible say what it says? Why not just rejoice in the fact that if you've truly been saved, then guess what? You'll always be saved. That's good news. Friends, that is what today's verses are all about. You thought I was going to sing, didn't you? Wrong. <laughs> Amen. This morning as we close out Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul tells us about the permanence of God's promise. The permanence of God's promise. If you'll turn to page 1005 in the Bibles in front of you, uh, I'm going to read from Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. And y'all, this is so chock full of good stuff, you're going to want to take this home with you. Amen? So follow along with me, beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things, if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? All right, you're dismissed. I mean, if God be for you, who can be against you? That's enough said, right? You, you wish that was all, right? But no, let's keep going. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Amen. Shall tribulation? Shall distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril? Or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Praise God. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You see, there's one thing that separates Christianity from every other belief system that the world offers. True Christianity is the belief system that guarantees our eternal security to everyone who trusts in what God's Word says. It's the only one. And I pray today that you and I would allow the Lord to teach us that if we are saved, if we are born again believers in Christ Jesus, then we can depend on God's promise that we are secure forever. Say forever. Forever. And here's why I can say that. First of all, we are secure by the labor of of Christ. Not anything that you've done, but by the labor of Christ. We're secure, first of all, because if you didn't know it, God has great interest in you. God has great interest in you. In verse 31, we're reminded of that. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for you, then who can be against you? Amen? What a wonderful blessing that God is interested in each one of us. Now, when he says there, 
if God is for us. He's not questioning the love of God. It's not if we are, uh, have God's love. He's stating a fact that God is on our side. It might be more appropriately said, since God is on our side, amen? Since God is on our side, who can be against us? Because, friend, despite what the difficulties of life may say to you, God is not against you. God is not against you. God is on your side, and the promise of the word is he always will be. That's good news. That is good news. Now, last week, we talked about the five links in God's chain of salvation. We talked about the fact that the believer in Christ has been chosen by God. Then God changes him or her. Then he calls him or her. Then he claims him or her finally to be completed by him or her. It's important that you know these five chains or five links in God's chain of salvation because before time began, before time began, God loved you. God loved you and he formulated a plan whereby he could bring you into his presence forever. Say forever. Forever. Let me ask you this question. Would a God who loves you so much, would a God who formulated this plan to save you, would a God who cares for you so intently be interested in you one day only to be disinterested in you the next? I think not. I say, no way, Jose. Amen? He has great interest in every one of those people who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus. His great interest secures us as believers. But we're also secure because God has had a great investment in us. Notice in verse 32 in the beginning, Paul wrote, Did he who did not spare his own son? That's quite an investment. Would you agree? How many of you would give up your son for a bunch of people that hated you? Not very many. Because God loves us so much, God has made the ultimate investment in you and in me. And he gave his own son Jesus to die on a criminal's cross for us. And since God has given us this greatest gift, since God has paid this highest price, would he hesitate to give us a lesser gift? Would he hesitate to give us a lower price? I think not. Since he's gone to such great lengths to purchase our salvation, I don't think he's going to let anything let us go. I don't think there's anything that could ever let us go. I'm forever saved, not only by his interest in me, but also because of his incredible investment in me. But we're also secure because God has great intentions for us. Look there at the end of verse 32. And not for here we go. Uh, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? God has great intentions for us. Now, what we have to see here is that Paul is asking us questions. He's asking us rather rhetorical questions, and he wants to know if God would pay this high a price for you. Did he not plan to do something with you? If he's going to purchase you with the blood of his son Jesus, is there not something he's going to do with you? 
Is there not some eternal plan that he has for you? Of course he has a plan. And that plan is to make us and to take us. Amen? He wants to make us like Jesus in character and ultimately in body. And he also wants to take us to be with him for eternity in heaven. So there's two things there. That's God's intention. To make us, say make us. And to take us, say take us. Take us. Make us and take us. And listen, there ain't a thing in this world. There ain't a thing that's not of this world that's going to stop God from allowing that to take place. He's going to make the believer. And he's going to take the believer to heaven. God didn't save a single one of us to lose a single one of us on the way home. Amen? That's good news. So we're secure because of God's interest in us. We're secure because of God's investment in us. We're certainly secure because of God's intentions for us. But finally, in this section, we're also secure because God is insistent concerning us. Look in verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. So Paul is asking yet another question here, and he already knows the, what the answer is, okay? The answer is no one because. Say no one because, ready? No one because. So if I were to ask you this question, who shall bring a charge against God's elect, what are you going to say? No one because, let me ask you this question again. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? No one because, here we go. He wants to know here, who's got the right? Who's got the right to say that a believer is guilty before God? No one because, see here's the problem. The world looks at us as Christians. The world looks at us and he sees those who claim to love Jesus, and they view our lives and they hear us using words that we ought not be doing, speaking, and they see us doing things that we ought not be doing, those things from the old lives of sin. They see us and how we're living, and they wonder, how in the world can she claim to be saved? But the fact is this. God's people ought to be living lives differently from the world. Would you agree with that? Because of the investment, because of the interest, because of God's intentions, certainly because God is insistent, we should be living lives differently, primarily because the whole world's watching you. Amen? The whole world's watching you. But Paul's point is this. They ain't nobody that's got a right. Nobody's got a right to bring up something and put it on your account. Nobody does. Except God. Not even the devil can accuse you of sin before the Lord. Why? Because we have trusted Christ and God is the one who justifies us. So nobody can accuse you. Nobody can condemn you. That's why. But you have to agree that there are times when you and I don't act like we're saved. Amen? If a lost person is watching you, what are they thinking? If a lost person is watching me, I wonder what they think about the way that I'm acting, how I'm speaking, the attitudes I have. If they're watching me, they might conclude, hey man, he's just as wicked as I am. 
Here's what they can't see. What they can't see is the transaction that has taken place in heaven. The day that I was saved and that every child of God is as righteous as he or she's ever going to be. Because God justifies. We're secure because God insists that we are by faith in Christ. And it's all by the labor of Christ. It's nothing that you could have done. But we're also secure not only by the labor of Christ, but by the life of Christ. This is interesting. Look in verse 34. Who is he condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. That verse asks us another question. Asks us another question relating to our security. Who has the right to judge a believer and condemn him or her? What's the answer? No one because, right? I mean, can anybody point a finger at you as a believer in Christ and judge you to hell? No one because. Here's how Paul answers that question. He says, no one because Jesus paid the price for my sins. He said, Christ who died. Jesus paid the price. Now, we know here that the Son of God who died for us is the one who gave us the right not to be condemned. No one can condemn us because of the great price Jesus paid. In his death on the cross, my sin debt was paid once and for all. And every person who would accept him as Savior, and since he paid the price, listen, can't nobody else condemn you. What did Paul ask? Who is he who condemns? And what do you say? No one because Jesus paid the price for my sins. Who is he who condemns? No one because Jesus displayed his power at the tomb. Did you see what verse 34 said? And furthermore is risen. We know that just three days after he died, Jesus vacated the grave. He was raised from the dead. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same resurrection that conquered death once and for all for those who believe in him. Does anybody have greater power than God? Does anybody have greater power than God? No one. No one. So what right do they have to condemn God's redeemed child? No one. Who is he who condemns? No one because Jesus paid the price. No one because Jesus displayed God's power. Who is he who condemns? No one because Jesus holds a position at the throne. See there at the end of verse 35? Verse 34? He makes intercession for us. See, the Bible tells us that after Jesus was resurrected from the dead... He ascended back to heaven, and the Bible says that he sat down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Here's what the Bible says about that in Hebrews chapter 10. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And so I wonder, okay, so Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of God. What's he doing there? Is he just hanging out with the Father? What's he doing there? 
He is interceding on our behalf. Here's what John said about that in 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous. So the Bible says that we have an advocate. His name is Jesus. We have a defender. We have someone who is representing us before the Father. And in the courtroom of heaven, what we find is, is that Satan is constantly accusing the believer, constantly accusing him of sin, constantly accusing him or her that she's not worthy. She doesn't deserve to be in heaven. She doesn't deserve to be a child of God. She's not worthy. And Jesus, our advocate, our defender, defends us before the Father. And here's what the judge says every time. Every time the father dismisses the case. Why? Because the price has already been paid. Every time. He lives to intercede on our behalf. You're familiar with that song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives. All fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because that's it. So I'm saying because he lives, no one has the right to accuse me. No one can accuse me before the father. No one has the right to judge me. As a redeemed child of God. See we're secure. By the labor of Christ. We're also secure. By the life that Christ now lives. At the right hand of the father. But finally today. We're also secure. And this is really good news. We're secure by the love of Christ. I think you would agree with me. That circumstances in life. Can cause us a whole lot of trouble. Amen. Man, there are circumstances in life that will cause you problem after problem after problem. Paul says, sin can't take it away. Satan can't take it away. And even as believers, these terrible situations that we have in life cannot take away our security as believers. Nothing can take it away. Now, how did God show us his love? The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. What an incredible love that we have from God. An incredible love. That's what Paul means in verse 35 when he says, the love of Christ, I am persuaded that I have the love of Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing, no sin, no Satan, and no situation can separate us from the love of Christ. He's talking about that special relationship that we enjoy with God. And God's love will never be taken from you. In verse 35, we find that God's love endures. That it's enduring. Look in there in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress? Shall persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of the sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long and accounted as sheep for the slaughter. See, regardless of what you face in this life, 
Regardless of any of that trouble or any of those problems that you face in life. Listen, ain't nothing, nothing going to come between you and the love of God. His love endures through thick and thin. His love endures through good and bad. His love endures the mountain and the valley. His love endures the high and the low. God's love persists through everything that life throws at you. Everything that life throws at you. Think about this. So many times we get overwhelmed at our troubles. We get overwhelmed by the problems of life. But Paul says, listen guys, don't get overwhelmed. Don't get overwhelmed at the things that happen cause you to feel like God has left you. When you reflect back on your life, you will conclude that God has never abandoned you. If you will reflect back on your life, you will see that God has never turned his back on you, that God has never left you, and furthermore, he never will. That's how much he loves you. God loves you, and he promises that he'll be with you to the end. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of of the age. God's love endures. It endures every event of life. It endures and makes us secure. But God's love also enables. Look there in verse 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, as we face all these battles, Paul says we're super conquerors. Amen? We could all have a big S on our, on our chest. We're super conquerors, more than conquerors. Why? Because God lives in you. Why? Because God loves you. He's going to help you to conquer. Now, if you're listening, say amen. amen. The genuine believer proves that he's the real deal by the life he lives. Did y'all hear that? The genuine believer proves that he's the real deal by the life that he lives. If the things of this world, like those things mentioned in verse 35, if those things can come between you and your living for God, then you're probably not saved to begin with. Y'all hear that? Because nothing can come between the child of God and our Lord. If a professing Christian can walk away from the things of God and persistently live a sinful lifestyle, then that person didn't lose their salvation. They probably never had it to begin with. Sinners that are truly saved persevere. When they mess up, they come running back. When they find themselves in the pig pen, they come running back. When they mess up, they come running back to daddy. When they sin, they go running back to the father. Why? Because the truly saved person doesn't want to be in the way that they were living beforehand. They don't want to be in the way things were. They don't want to go back to the way things were before they knew Christ. 
And that person is reminded daily that God's love paid his sin debt and that he's empowered to live a life that honors God in every way and day by day. So when you weather the storms of life, when you weather those storms of conflict, when you weather those storms of affliction, when you weather the storms of temptation, when you weather the storms of persecution and turmoil and pain and suffering, when you weather those storms and you still want to follow Jesus, boy, that's a good sign. You've probably got the real thing. Amen. That's what Paul is trying to tell us. Verse 37 says that the love of God enables us, it strengthens us to persevere to the end. Why? Because we're more than conquerors. More than conquerors through him who loved us. So we're secure because God's love endures. We're secure because God love, God's love enables us. But we're also secure because God's love is also everlasting. Let's finish out that passage in verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Translation, God says no, there's no shadow he won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up. There's no wall you won't kick down. There's no lie you won't tear down. Because I love you. And I'm going to pour out my love upon you. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that you know the love of God? That you've experienced the love of God in your life? As Paul closes out this chapter, he's telling us, hey, y'all ain't got a hope so faith. You've got a faith that's banked on the love of God. And that's an incredible love indeed. You can be confident in that. So there's nothing from the very beginning of your life to the very end of your life here that's ever going to be able to separate you, the believer, from salvation that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing. So come what may, through whom it may, we are forever protected, forever secure that the love of God Love, has this incredible love for the believer, the one that's in Christ Jesus. So when you add up everything and you digest all these truths that we've been talking about, believers never need to fear anything coming between himself and the salvation God has offered us. There's nothing that can separate us. If you are saved, you are saved forever. But the question begs to be asked. And it begs to be answered. How can I know if I'm saved? If you're saved, there's three things you can bank on. There's probably more, but these three are important. How can you know if you're saved? One, you're going to have confidence in Christ. Jesus said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may also be. The one who saved has confidence in Christ. But the one who saved also will be obedient to Christ. Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I do, he will also do. If you love me, keep my commandments. How can you know if you're saved? You're going to have a confidence in the finished work of Christ. And you're going to desire to be obedient to Christ. But finally, you'll also persevere in the name of Christ. Jesus said, these things I spoke to you that in me you may have peace. I like that, amen. In these things, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Friend, have you received the love of Christ? Have you received the love of God that comes through Christ to every person that's breathing on this planet? Are you secure in the labor of Christ, the life Christ now lives, and the love of God that comes to the believer through Christ? If there's a question in your heart, a doubt you need to get straightened out, today's a great day to do that. And I want to encourage you to bank on the permanence of God's promise. Let me pray for you. Our Father, we praise you and thank you for your countless promises, but especially this promise that when we are truly saved, if we've truly been saved, then we will always be saved. The labor of Christ secures it.